Hi, everybody. This is Chris with the Dirty Talk podcast. I just wanted to give all our listeners a quick warning that the following podcast you are about to listen to is full of gratuitous talk about cats, cuddly... Pussy. No, we're not talking about pussy at all. In Puss, pussy cats. No, normally we would talk about pussy because this meow, is a meow. dirty talk with Ray and Gray. This is cute, cuddly cat meow meow time with Ray and Gray. Uh, that's not true. Anyways, I just want to give a quick warning to our listening audience. If you do not like cats, you're lucky because you can choose to turn this podcast off now. I Fuck unfortunately you. have to sit through the rest of it. You've been warned. Oh, it's on. We've got an issue. Yeah, what's that, boo? My issue that I have is your dislike of cats. It's not that I don't dislike cats, it's just that I don't necessarily like them. Yeah, it's because you're a broken man. I'm not a broken man. I'm I'm not I like dogs more than cats, but I'm not really fond of any living animals necessarily. I like animals, not to say I'm an animal hater. I don't abuse animals. I just I feel like I have too many living things that are dependent upon me and I don't want any more of them in my life. My dog passed. That's fine. I still have a cat, right? I have a really I, healthy cat that's going to be around for a long time. I know time. that cat's going to live forever. Mm-hmm. And he's an indoor outdoor cat and he was feral when he was a kitten, but he is the healthiest cat I've ever seen. I wish that I had his anti-aging. How old is that cat? He's got to be what, like 14. He looks like he's 6 or 7. Yeah. I swear to God. So I'm going to be paying for that cat and cat food for years to come. And you know what? The first thing I hear when I go out into the kitchen in the morning? Meow. 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 Meow, meow. And every time I open the door to my room? Meow. Yeah. Meow. And in the middle of the night? Meow, meow. Yeah. And you used to like to have him in the bedroom when you were over spending the night. Oh, don't be such a mean guy. Kick the cat out of the bed. Well, first of all, the cat's not even allowed on the bed. Yeah. Well, my cat's indoors. I, I would let my cat- I that he shit on my bed one time. Well, he was probably trying to communicate with you. No, he was probably just sick and he couldn't make it outside to shit. Mm, he was telling you something. I'm going to go see if I can find him. Hold on. Let me go see if I can dig up Gur. Dig him up? In. What did you do? Bury him? No, I did not. Dig him up. He's out there somewhere in the house. Hold on. I'll be right back. Meow. I went outside and found him in the yard. He was laying in the sun like cats are apt to do. It's because they're actually fur batteries that are run by solar power. Yeah, cats are basically house plants that shit, meow, and chase laser beams. <laughs> That's all you do. You feed them and you water them and they just lay around your house in the sun like a plant. <laughs> At least with dogs, you can go out and do something with them, like go on a hike. You ever tried taking a cat on a hike? I have. It went poorly. Yeah. You ever really tried taking a cat in a car? Dogs love going in cars. You ever try traveling with a cat when it's not in a box in the car? Uh, my cat sits in my lap when I travel in yeah, the car. Yeah, most cats are just going to freak out, claw you to death. You got a cat over there in your lap. I do. It's apropos for this podcast. Can you say hi, Gur? Hey, Gur. Gur. Hi, Gur. Cats don't say hi if they don't want to. No, you just jiggle the cat until he says something. <laughs> I'm trying. Give it up, girl. No. No. Okay. <laughs>
Here, bring him over to me. Are you going to make him meow? Maybe. Girl, are you going to say something? You can't make a cat do things mm. it doesn't want okay, to. Okay, fine. Where is your... You constantly meow, meow, meow. He's proving you wrong. He's obstinate. That's what cats do. Meh. See? <laughs> Fucking cats. <laughs> are you just going to hold me in your lap for the rest of the episode? Yeah, I love this cat. All right, well, if there's any rogue meowing in the background, you'll know it's my cat, Gur. He's a pretty cool cat. So I own a cat. I pay for that cat mm-hmm. because my wife's not going to take care of the cat. My daughter kind of loves the cat, but she just loves to squeeze him and mirror him. She squeezes him like he's a fur slinky and he protests a bit. No, but he keeps coming back for more. Well, yes, of course. That, that's, this is the thing is that cats want affection on their own terms. Toast, Jedediah, to love on my terms. Those are the only terms anybody ever knows. His own. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. Yeah, because I know you're a self-described feral cat. Yeah. The reason why this episode is called For the Love of Cats is because we did an interview with... Danorama of the Naughty Boys. And I guess he is a... Huge cat fan, like me. Fucking cat people. Uh Now, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I had an ex-partner who described kinky people as cat people. You know what cat people is? What are cat people? Cat people is just a shitty horror film from the early 80s that spawned one of the worst David Bowie songs ever. I did not know that. It's true. Look it up. Okay, I shall. One of the worst Bowie songs possible called Cat People. See these eyes so green I can Yeah, see? No retort to that, right? There's nothing I can you say. You're right. I, I'm argue speechless. That point. I'm, well, I mean, I'm, I'm Cats not. are dumb and cat people are even worse. Uh, well, you're dating a cat person, so what's it say about your taste? Well, I was talking about the movie and the song. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a cat person. Well, meow. meow. So, yeah, Danorama loves him some pussy. He does, actually. I There's uh, video evidence of him loving pussy. And cats, too, I guess. I guess he woos women with his cats. Uh, You can really woo women with cats. That's a good rapport. Actually, one of the favorite photos that Dan has ever posted on his Twitter, uh, in my opinion, uh, he is a very accomplished man. He has done a ton with his life. I'm kind of surprised how one person has managed to fit that many skills. But among his many skills is that he's in three different bands. And he is a very goth-tastic fellow. And there is a photo of him on stage singing, and he has his cell phone out, and on the cell phone are photos of his two black cats. So he's wooing all the goth girls in the crowd with photos of his black cats. And I'm telling you, cats are like catnip for women. They love cats. It's the gateway to pussy. It is. Cats are the gateway to pussy. Mm-hmm. Very clever. I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Give them your, your cat spiel. Because I don't have any news bits for us today because cats aren't newsworthy. But I know you have a lot to say about cats. I have a a number of things to say about cats. I'm going to get to my newsworthy bit. I'm going to take a moment right now. This is actually a tribute because my cat is currently dying. I got her from my ex-partner who described kinky people as cat show people. Meow. (laughs) <laughs> oh, Gur was not meowing because he was getting attention. 
He's not going to meow in your lap. He's going to meow when he's asking for attention. <laughs> That's not going to make him meow. Meow for me. You cannot make a cat do anything it does not want to do. You are the most meowy cat ever. Yeah, well, he doesn't perform well under pressure. Well, here, if he wants to go out the door, he'll meow. There okay. So we were busy talking about the tragedy of my poor cat. I have a cat who's a Persian. And as it turns out, you know. Should I just leave him in the room? Yeah, just leave him in the room. He'll... Sorry for the interruption, people. We have a cat in the room. Girl will keep contributing as he sees fit. What I did not know is that Persian cats have a huge tendency to polycystic kidney disease. There's the meowing. It's production value right there. <laughs> Persian cats have a huge propensity to... Maybe we should... No, no, we're leaving. Cat stays in the room. For the whole... Okay, for the, the whole... The cat stays. Okay. <laughs> Persian cats have a huge propensity to polycystic kidney disease. How huge, you may ask? 40%. Because Persians are inbred little tribbles that are not actually meant to exist. Oh. No. Wrong. Wrong. You're all so All purebred wrong. animals are inbred little mutants. Okay. They've the, I, all been bred for certain strange characteristics. They're all freaks of nature, of science. Every single purebred, whether it be a cat or a dog or anything like that, and they all suffer from horrendous health issues because they're inbred little freaks of nature. They were what came out of people's early attempt at eugenics. Well, okay. You're right there. I can't disagree with you. I love my Persian. I did not know that 40% of them get polycystic kidney disease. I paid $400 for an ultrasound, and they confirmed that she's riddled with cysts. You know what they can do for her? Nothing. Nothing. What they can do for her is they can run countless tests and keep checking her blood work. Over and over, over and, and over, over again. Don't forget urine work, too. They oh, want to do a the, lot of... And the urine work. They, so all they can do is they can keep running tests and charging you hundreds of dollars for the tests. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's that's where I'm at right now. Uh, that's a little depressing. And I'm trying to make this more lighthearted. So my news bit for... <laughs> Stop cackling. You're a horrible man. This isn't a news bit, by the way. This is just a thing it's, that it's, you want to talk about. It's news. Things are news. <laughs> How is this news? You get off my ass. I love me some Run the Jewels. I think that Run the Jewels is amazing. And they are one of my favorite bands ever. They're a rap group. And what I super like about them actually is Killer Mike is an activist. And he's not just a rapper. He is, dare I say, woke. And he was the one that cued me on to the Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes experiment. If you have not looked up the Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes experiment, you should. It is a real mind-blowing opener, and she does this amazing experiment. She holds it in colleges, and she keeps people in a room for just a couple of hours. And I, I can't even do it justice. You're just going to have to look it up. But you see people cracking. You see people not being able to hack a couple of hours of being treated how people with the wrong skin tone are treated daily. So cats? I'm about to get to the cats. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to uh, interrupt your digression there. Dude, I'm talking about Run the Jewels. Uh, you were talking about genetics and racism. No, do not let the cat... You just... 
sorry, listening audience. Randy Gray just let the cat out of the room. I guess you couldn't handle the cat being in the room and meowing, could you? Oh, ouch. You just kicked the cat out. The cat was asking to leave. No, the cat was just meowing. He could have meant anything. Maybe he wanted attention. He would have been fine to sit in your lap and just be quietly present while we recorded this if you pet him. Fine, I'll go get the cat. Want to go get the no, cat? No, just leave the cat. The cat's already gone. Anyhow, the reason I'm talking about racism is I was talking about Killer Mike. The reason I was talking about Killer Mike is I was talking about Run the Jewels. The reason I was talking about Run the Jewels is because... It's all connected. It's all connected. Oh, I, I love Dirk Gently. So good. So good. It's one of my favorite shows. The Illuminati. It's, there's no such thing as the Illuminati. The Illuminati is an excuse for people that don't have their life together and want to blame someone else. The greatest thing the Illuminati did is make you believe they never existed. Just like Kaiser Soze. Are you part of the Illuminati? Is there, is there anything I if need to If I know? was, what I'd tell you? Well, you don't talk in your sleep, so... So, uh, Run the Jewels did an amazing album called Meow the Jewels. They released the world's first cat rap album, Meow the Jewels. <laughs> and I'm just going to play you a little bit of it. I'm up at midnight, I'm deep enough in my knees. I saw gun on a metal piece. I've been knees, I fist to my wrist. I'm lurking, serving all this. It was too lack of purpose. I got him filled up with frizzack like Miss I get you all recite. I'm looking, lurking on people twerking for service. The bitch is back as a burger. I'm yelling, screaming, and cursing. I'm putting pistols and faces at random places like give it up or stand adjacent to say. So the video is half of the awesomeness there because it's melting cats, vomiting cats, sliding cats, giant cats. I actually have never in, run into a cat rap album before. I think that that's pretty newsworthy. Uh, it's not news. It's yeah. just, it's that's entertainment news. It's not real news. That's like watching E. I love watching E. I know. And you love reading people. I love reading people. That's news. Mm-hmm. It's things that are happening. It's a people. It's gossip. That's what it is. I have a fetish for gossip and dirty talk and what people are doing. People's yeah. lives are your entertainment. I find you all very, very entertaining. Just like the rest of society getting more involved in what other people are doing. True. That's true. We, we are using each other for entertainment. It's social media right there. It's the social media effect. Mm -hmm. The individual has become the celebrity. Yeah, true. What's that have to do with cats? Ah, ha, ha. All connected. <laughs> we haven't even talked about toxoplasmosis and cat scratch fever yet. And how you, when you go to someone's house that owns a cat, you know immediately they do because their house reeks of cat shit. Unless and then, you have a really bad sense of smell like me, in which case you can't smell anything. Oh, you're lucky because Yay. then you go in there and it's not just that they shit and then you go have to rake their litter box like some sort of septic zen buddhist sand garden to get rid of their poops and then carry them out to the trash can at least dogs have the decency to go to the bathroom outside tell that to the two dogs i had they yeah. had no such decency they were old you put them in diapers because those dogs should have been put down years ago i know but no one would listen to me so tell me about cat scratch fever 
cat scratch fever is bacterial infection that you get from either cat bites or scratches. It's also a really terrible song. One of the only reasons Ted Nugent is famous. <sighs> Fact. Cat Scratch Fever, only reason why Ted Nugent is famous. And now trotting around guns and advocating shooting people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Cat Scratch Fever. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your other horrible cat-related illness? What, toxoplasmosis? Yeah, what's up with that? Oh, you get it from cat feces. Okay. Infected cat feces for having these animals in your house. I think it just stays in your blood system forever. It changes the, how your brain works. So you can't get rid of it. Nope. <sighs> Thanks. It's just there. Thanks, cats. Well, it makes you more risk-taking. More people that start businesses have it. Have toxoplasmosis? Yes. What? I want to see the research on Fact. This. Fact. Yes. So you're saying that everybody should go out and infect themselves with toxoplasmosis? One of the side effects of toxoplasmosis, it makes you a little more prone to risk behavior. And starting more your own tolerant. Starting your own business could be viewed as risky, and it takes a certain type of person to have the courage to do that. A large percentage of people that start businesses are infected with toxoplasmosis. I'm I'm pausing right here. We're gonna check out this. Please do. We're gonna be back. I'm right, you're wrong. Hello, all you people out there in podcast land. Hello. I am Chris, and I am here today to plug Rain de Grey's Patreon. <gasps> if awesome. you are not already a member of Rain de Grey's Patreon, I ask you, why not? I'm yeah, actually, why not? I'm actually a member. I was the first member because I set up the Patreon account for you, and I have been a supporting member of yours from the beginning. And look at me. I'm on your podcast now. <laughs> that worked out well for you, it didn't it? did. So join the Patreon. If you haven't been on there, you are missing half the fun because we are posting videos on there. We are posting special mini podcast episodes on there as well. You, we are posting tons of behind the scene content and you get this podcast a week before everyone else. And you also get the advice column a week before everyone else. So if you want all this nifty behind-the-scenes action and some pretty cool thank-you presents, like mugs and shirts and whatnot, check out the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Gray or go to reindegray.com, that's R-A-I-N-D-E-G-R-E-Y dot com, and you'll find all that information there as well as the latest advice columns and podcasts and a whole slew of other and information. articles and classes oh yeah all the comings and goings everything mm-hmm. the comings and the goings yes hopefully there'll be more coming than going fingers crossed Ooh, shocker <laughs> i love the shocker enjoy the patreon it's worthwhile i think so <laughs> so you get the money So you found your information on toxoplasmosis? Yeah, it's all over the place. It's not hard to find. Are you talking about the disease or the information? Both. Uh Uh-huh. So Mm -hmm. what do you got for us on toxoplasmosis? Here's the thing. A new study shows that people infected with toxoplasmosis are more likely to be majoring in business studies. It is a one-celled parasite that is carried by cats. It infects as much as one-third of the world's population. 
Most people will never show signs. It has actually been labeled a mind control parasite because it seems to have a subtle effect on the connections of our brains. It changes our responses to frightening situations. Cats are trying to control our minds through their toxoplasmosis. Well, cats are not the humans and rats are also infected by it. It's not just a cat thing, man. No, but I'm saying cats try and give it to us. They're trying to control us. By making us less fearful and more willing to take on risks. How does that benefit cats? I'm sure they have a benefit. It changes our responses to frightening situations, our trust in others, how outgoing we are, and even our preference for certain scents. Those who've been exposed to it were more likely to pursue business management or entrepreneurial activities, even when controlling for other economic factors. Evidently, somehow it turns off the fear of failure setting in our brains. It is such a significant effect on brains that rats that are infected with it are no longer scared. Instead, they become sexually aroused by the smell of cat urine. Rats that are infected with toxoplasmosis don't get scared of cat urine. They See, that's how it benefits cats. It does benefit cats. Turn on the rats. The cats catch the rats. It does help the cats. Cat wins. Aha, I knew it. The, the rat is just overcome with lust, and then before you know it, it's eaten. Yep. See, that's how a cat will benefit. Well, how does, it, how does it benefit infecting human brains? I don't know. Mm-hmm. They, they make more money. They buy more cats. Oh. Right? All right, everybody. Here's my advice. If you want to get rich, go out and start playing with cat shit. You're welcome. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> Have we covered cats significantly for you? I could always. I know you could. You could, could keep wax going. poetic about cats for hours. Meow meow. I've heard it. <laughs> you know we had a cat in the room. Now you're making, making cat noises. <laughs> we had a real live feline. Yeah, but I I don't believe in imprisoning cats, and it looked like the cat wanted to get out of the room. You like free range cats? I don't like confining cats. Cats should be free to do their own thing, man. I'm not a cat oppressor. Stick it to the cat man. <laughs> Can I introduce our special guest? Tell us a little bit about our guest, Danorama. Our guest is someone that I have known for a decade. He was one of the first people I met when I first entered the lifestyle. He was already legendary back then because he has co-written not one but two books, the Naughty Boys books with JD. He is an educator, an activist, a presenter, a performer, a director, a videographer, a photographer, a musician, a pilot. Clarinetist. <laughs> a clarinetist. This is an accomplished man who I believe does not sleep a lot. And in addition to all of that, he is literally the best dressed man I have ever met. Well, thank you. It's great to be here and great to talk to you on the other side of a microphone because if we were in person, we'd probably go on for hours. Hours. We do do that. It's true. I find you remarkably easy to talk to and I like how your brain works. Oh, well, thanks. I know a lot of people also might know me as Danorama, uh, with all A's, like Bananarama, which is simply a throwback to me misspelling a pet name when I quickly had to come up with a Hotmail email address back in the 50s, as I did. So I kind of stuck with that. Dan of the Two Naughty Boys, or Danorama. It's amazing that a lot of people know me as one or the other and are surprised when I'm the same person. In the lifestyle and the people that we play and interact with, 
Sometimes people have five or six names. They have a FetLife name, a vanilla name, a scene name. They're wearing so many hats. It's how do I address you today? Yeah, I actually started out back in the 90s. My first scene name was Lynx, L-Y-N-X. And I've got floggers that were made for me with links all over them. And somewhere I just got tired of having a short animal name. It kind of deteriorated from there. What made you decide that Lynx would be your scene name, your original scene name? Did you feel an affinity to them? Well, I'm a cat person, as anyone who has seen my Twitter understands. But the other thing is that when I survived cancer, one of the first physical manifestations that came out of that was sudden gray hair at my temples, like Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four. He got fancy, stretchy powers. All I got was gray hair. You do have comic book hair. I have always appreciated your hair. You do look like a comic book character with the hair. I didn't know that it was a cancer side effect. I don't know if it was necessarily a cancer side effect per se, or, or whether it was just released from the genes that way, but it certainly came out that way. The irony being that the very first comic book that I ever had I got for my sixth birthday, and it was a Fantastic Four, and then the cover was Reed Richards, and I was fascinated by his hair. So I think this is just some strange, uh, be careful what you wish for trick, and uh, <laughs> here I am. The universe is repaying your early childhood fascination with Reed Richards' hair. I like that. It's actually quite fitting. I have to say that you are a very striking person. It's not just the hair. I have never met someone who has such an extensive, fabulous wardrobe of corsets and buckles and leather and latex and boots and steampunk and, and goth. How long does it take you to leave the house? I'm a good under an hour person. Uh, the hardest part is planning. And the hardest part for me in terms of having a big wardrobe is packing for a convention or a music festival or something like that, because that will take me weeks of decisions. The nightly going to Death Guild or going to club probably is just about a half hour of decision making. And then getting dressed actually doesn't take that long. So it's the decision that makes the the delay. Huh. Okay. So I, I have a question. I'm a little curious here. Have you identified as someone who really loved expressing themselves through really unique and flamboyant clothing your entire life? Or was there a trigger point where you started realizing that clothing and the costuming and the manifesting of it was something that was really important to you? From a very early age, I realized that I loved shiny outfits. I, I had a crush. Uh, in that same year that I got the Reed Richards uh, comic book, I had a crush on um, this fellow student in my class, in our first grade class. All I remember specifically about her is that she would come to school dressed in a red PVC skirt. This is the 70s. And as so such things were commonplace, in a red PVC skirt and white leggings and little Mary Janes. It was one of those crinkly red PVC matching vests that went with it and a turtleneck. And I remember that outfit as though she wore it every day, although I'm sure she didn't. And from that moment on, I knew that I had this big fascination for shiny clothes. I was just completely enamored with her, so much so that I had to learn everything that she liked so that I could talk to her. She liked horses, so I learned everything I could about horses. I told my family that, oh, I love horses. And so I got all this horse garbage for Christmas and my birthdays. My dad used to read me to sleep with horse stories, everything from Black Beauty to 
uh, Stormy, Misty's Foal. And he ran out of books at the library about horses and he ended up reading me about horse racing. So I know a surprising bit about horse racing now. I probably knew more about horse racing as a six-year-old than most adults do who are playing the ponies. It was all to get in favor with this girl in the shiny skirt. And it's kind of like the way that I've always run my life. Did it work? Did you? Well, it worked. She got a horse. She invited me over. You know, I petted the horse with her. I got stung by a, a horse fly and my arm was bleeding and she was shocked. And I just stood there and took it and go, did you get, did you, did you get bit? Did it bite you? And I go, yeah, it did. And uh, I was, I was really going for this. And then, and then my dad got transferred and we moved away. And that was the last I ever saw of her. But I've always been fascinated by women in Chinese skirts. And I ended up years later following them into a goth club and discovered goth music. And that became bingo, my first community that I felt where I belonged. That kind of led me into the shiny skirt department. And of course, you being a San Francisco familiar and native of those days, you know that the Bondage of Gogo was held in the same venue as Death Guild, which was the first goth club that I went to. Mm-hmm. And since it was the same venue, I went to the, the first anniversary of Bondage of Gogo. Hi, Katie. Uh, my cat is crawling on my shoulder. Um, I went to the first anniversary of Bondage Gogo, and because I had a latex shirt, they let me into the VIP area, and you had people tying each other up and having a great time. And I love the energy of it, but I, I really didn't go, oh, I need to do this. But eventually, I, I met someone at Bondage Gogo or at Death Guild, I can't remember where, and she wanted to get tied up. I was a climbing instructor. I had been a climbing instructor since I was about 17. So I had a bunch of rope in my closet, coincidentally. I tied her up and I was so blown away by how ecstatic she was at getting tied up and and fucked that I said, I've gotta I've gotta do this. This is this is for the first time I felt empowered, not as a top. I didn't feel empowered as like, ooh, I'm gonna dominate you. I felt empowered because I mean, I grew up very shy. I didn't lose my virginity till I was 22. And I had one girlfriend all through my 20s. And she was 10 years old, a little older than I was. And I, I met her through a, a singles ad in a newspaper. And that's how shy I was. I always had felt insecure that I had anything to offer women. And then now when I saw just how mind-blowing it was to tie her up during sex, I realized I have something to offer now. So it wasn't a... It wasn't an I'm a dominant thing. It was like, now I have a power to share. And that's pretty much what's driven everything that I've done in kink has been continual self-discovery to find new ways to blow people's minds. Amen. That's exactly how I approach kink as well. The thing is that women respond really well to skill sets. There, There is an ocean of available dick out there. And what makes dick stand out is dick that has a skill, whether it's I can play guitar, I'm a really good singer, I'm incredibly accomplished at mountain climbing, I can tie you up. And women love skills. They respond really well to it. Well, nobody's going to go out with me. I don't even have any good skills. What do you mean? You know, like nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. You've now become this 
bondage expert that you are, what was the catalyst for you deciding to get in front of a group of people and start teaching education? Well, that, that all started with uh, Chunani Boys. Eric Kroll brought me over to tie up models for his photo shoots. He was borrowing a studio at the time from some some PhD school dropout from Cambridge who like had a little server under his desk and he had this this wooden frames in his house of two by fours and we would do our photo shoots in there. Then we'd walk out to the kitchen, his servers were under the table, and some guy's starting a site called hogtie.com. And we were in the Marina District apartment of Peter Ackworth. Uh. And <laughs> during the fledgling days, literally wow. days of hogtie.com. And I was actually model number 83 at Kink, where Peter had me come in and tie up models for Hogtide. And now, as you know, from having worked through yourself, the models are now in the 600,000s. I am in the double digits, which I'm really sort of proud of. So you're, you're OG is what I'm you're OG. saying. Yeah. <laughs> so I got hired to tie for a model search. And there was another guy tying up people next to me. And we had the same tying style, meaning that we focused not on cotton clothesline with, with overhand knots. And we, we didn't like sloppy bondage that we took time to make things symmetrical and neat. And the layers are, are wrapped around and had a central knot as a focus from which everything else sprung forth and attached to. It was that same sort of appreciation for the aesthetic and the functionality at the same time, which we both got and we became friends. And that guy's name was JD. We hung out and became friends and we realized that we had such a, a similar tying style that, hey, you know, we should kind of go into business and, and sell bondage things at Bondage-A-Go-Go or something like that. And be, we can be like a team. And so I came up with the name Two Naughty Boys, made a business card. And then after a couple of times trying to sell bondage ties at Bondage-A-Go-Go, we had a little booth and we had pictures up of like, for $5, we'll tie you in this chest harness. And da -da -da. it was our first entrepreneurial thing about the thing that sold the most was, was bondage bears. So we probably made and the, the total of our first Naughty Boys adventure being the Naughty Boys tie you up at the club store, we probably made a total of $35 in four attempts at that. And so we were asked to teach a class on how to tie this stuff rather than don't just tie up my girlfriend or don't just tie up my boyfriend, teach us how to do it. So we taught a class at this uh, member of the coffin store at Gia. Uh, I can't remember the name of the actual event night, but it was an interesting venue because it was all black visqueen, kind of like a kill room and surrounded by airbrushed coffins with pictures of Jerry Garcia on them. And it was uh, a really nice place to have a bondage club. And so we taught a class there. JD and I realized that we had a great teaching style together because we had riff off of each other and had a good time. So it wasn't just teaching this. We had a good time interacting and filling in each other's jokes and going around the room and helping other people tie. So that was a nexus of what Two Naughty Boys actually came to be. Four weeks into us getting the business card, that was in 1999, September of 1999. From there, that's when we realized that we had a, a public shtick. Now, I was a speech communication major, so talking in front of a crowd was nothing scary for me. And... I did radio for five years to work my way through college. Uh, speaking in front of people wasn't anything new to me. But when I saw the effect that people had, the same way that I blew people's minds by tying them up and having sex with them, that I could do the same thing by teaching them 
how to tie people up to, to blow their lovers' minds themselves. That was the same addictive, I get that same thrill from teaching that I do from tying someone up in the bedroom. It's interesting that you say that because I have the exact same takeaway for teaching. When I do a class and people come up to me afterwards and their faces are flushed and their eyes are shiny and they're standing a little bit more confidently in their skin and they give me hugs, I can actually legitimately see that just the simple act of taking this two-hour class has made them more confident with their bodies and their sexuality and made them feel more relaxed. It's the dopamine hit I get off of that is so appealing. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing that I feel. JD and I took a break for independent reasons for me working on my music and him working on his family and other things like that. And I didn't want to stop teaching. So I continued teaching and even taught more and was teaching two to three times a week and was stuff that didn't have anything to do with bondage necessarily, but the more sexual type of, of deals. When I was asked by Peter, who came to one of my workshops, if I would take over Kink University, which he'd been trying to get off the ground since 2006, it was exciting, but I did have to think about it because I thought, when you sell your soul to the beast, you kind of wonder whether you'll ever be able to come back from that. Because people <laughs> say, you know, once you get into porn, I'd led a pretty good double life up until that point. And then to finally just relinquish and, and go and whole hog into it. And it was the best decision I ever made. Nothing has come close to working at kink and especially in the field of educating other people in a day job that could support you to do that. I've been in other careers for decades and I never got a thank you note for writing a program, never got a thank you note for designing brochure, I never got a thank you note for anything that I've done in a vanilla career. But getting 300 in the course of a year messages of people thanking them for, thank you, I didn't know that this was so easy. I thought I was the only person who felt this way. Now I know how to get my partner involved in it. Now I'm not going to be able to hurt anyone by doing this. Now I know it's okay. Now I know I'm not weird. Now I know it's okay to do this and have fun at it. I mean, mm. nothing is more empowering. And there's nothing that I have ever done that I feel has contributed to the world more than teaching people how to get off. Because I believe that that is really what every sexual creature in the solar system is here to do, and that is to get off, ostensibly to procreate. But we as humans have the ability to say no to that imperative, <laughs> and that gives us the opportunity to do things that are a lot more fun with that. But mm -hmm. the fact that we suppress this through governments and religions and, and, mm -hmm. and our own insecurities puts this weight of unhappiness on people. And if you can tell people how to have fun with their sexuality and have fun with this truly amazing sensation of orgasm, if you're capable of it, or to help a partner achieve that themselves, I mean, that is a really wonderful thing. If it were possible to financially dedicate your life to it, I would do it in a heartbeat. Me too. <laughs> and Fact. That was the beautiful thing about working at Kink University was that it gave me the opportunity to fly people out, particularly presenters of color who don't have the opportunity to uh, to often go to conventions at far flung areas. I mean, Molina Williams has, has, a, has a great blog about why you should pay me. And I urge everyone to Google it and read that. 
uh, or read the link in this podcast if you insert it. Oh, there will be a link. Trust me on that. I have read that. I couldn't agree with it more. I have a similar blog myself. This is a pet peeve that you and me have discussed yeah. before. The last thing I'm going to say about defending education for kink or BDSM just in general is that it is worth something. It means something to people. If I ever find an opportunity where it's monetizable, where everyone can make a fair wage at that, I am in like Flynn because I have never been happier when I was working full time, not just making smut and making people smile, but sharing knowledge that helped people make their sex lives and extensively their lives better than ever. So in addition to your many talents, pilot, photographer, educator, filmmaker, author, you also somehow find time by not sleeping to be a musician as well. And you have three separate projects. Do you want to tell me about them a bit? I basically started writing music on my own in uh, year 2000 or so. a synthesizer and started and, and Pro Tools and I started recording my own tracks and then doing vocals and recording my own thing. I heard a girlfriend playing a band from Sweden on her MySpace one time and it was a, an instrumental and I asked who it was and she introduced me and I asked, hey, can I write lyrics to that because it's a great song and eventually they said, sure, give it a try and they loved it. And so here I was all of a sudden the singer of a band in Sweden who I'd never met and it was eight years before I actually met them. Eight years after our album was released and three EPs and, and lots of articles, and I'd never met them until an hour before going on stage for our first concert together. So in the midst of those, uh, those eight years with Titans, I also did a side project for another band called Tuskeluder, which is German for prostitute. And he wanted to do something softer, more melodic and like my Titan stuff. And so he asked me to work for him. And I recorded one that became four, that became a full album. And we, we named our band Harmenjoy, which is the German translation of Schadenfreude, which is my favorite German emotion of like taking joy and guilty pleasure in, in a friend's misfortune or the misfortune of others. And so that, that project has really taken off. In fact, I'm going to be performing uh, for our second album, which is coming out in the autumn, uh, so this September, in just a couple of weeks, I'm going to be traveling, wow, two weeks. I'm going to be traveling in Germany, uh, going on tour with Harmjoy and uh, singing singing our old and new album. So that's exciting for me because singing in front of an audience is not something I ever thought that I would do because I, I'm more of a writer and a composer. To, to put the words to it and not suck at it is a, a surprise to me. And the fact that two brands in Europe want to drag me out there to, to do it is, is flattering and extremely destructive to my imposter syndrome. <laughs> I think that we all have imposter syndrome, and I'd be terrified of the people that don't. The people that actually buy it and never suffer from imposter syndrome are the people you want to stay away from. Right. But, you know, they could, be, they could become president. Uh, yeah, that's terrifying. What's your axe? What's my axe? My axe is my voice. And I also actually went through college on a clarinet scholarship. So my instrument is a clarinet 
or it was. That's what I'm most, I'm, I'm a classically trained clarinetist. I went through college on the music scholarship and my clarinet was stolen when I moved to San Francisco and never played again. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Okay, I'm sorry. Are you are a cartoon character. You know that, right? <laughs> no, what? No, okay, okay. B listen to this pitch. There's a dude who goes through college on a clarinet scholarship, gets his clarinet stolen, somehow manages to survive cancer, gets Reed Richard Hare, and then finds the time to be in three different bands, write two best-selling books, become an educator, be a photographer, be a pilot, be a filmmaker, and do porn. What? That's, I, I mean... easy. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm just saying, you, you have your finger in many, many pies. You're doing the shocker. I'm impressed at how many fucking hats you wear. Oh, I mean, legitimately, if you if you if you wrote yourself up as a D and D character, they'd be like, "Come on, one person can't be doing all of that shit." But they is, and it's you. When you went through the scholarship and on clarinet, and it got stolen, you, why did you never pick it up again? Were you just too traumatized? I was too traumatized. Well, two reasons. Once you're not in an orchestra. There's pretty much no use for a clarinet because no band's going to get you in it unless you're like super tramp or I'm trying to think of any rock band that has a clarinet in it or sidelining as a Dixieland band or something like that or hanging out with some chamber music friends who also couldn't get into a professional symphony work. So playing a clarinet after college, it's not an easy deal, but having it stolen uh, shortly after it was a heartbreaking because this instrument was, hi kitty, this instrument was, it's your lover. And it's like, it's having someone kidnap and murder your, your, your spouse. So you're a widow, like, you're a widower. I'm, like, I'm a widower of a clarinet. I'm like okay. Braveheart, you know, I'm not like sleeping with queen or anything like that. I'm like, you know, yelling freedom as my guts are ripped open. Um, and, uh, I love you. I love you. Have. Oh, oh my god. And, uh, I, I picked up saxophone after that, but it just wasn't the same. To this day, if I see a pawn shop, I will walk in to the pawn shop looking for my clarinet. Because it still probably has 30 it years sold. later. What's it's, that? It still probably hasn't sold. Because it still probably hasn't sold. It's there waiting for you to find it, man. That's 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 your quest. It's my rosebud. <laughs> that's beautiful, man. That really is. I really do like the Citizen Kane reference, though. That's that's working for me. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for all the people who haven't seen Citizen Kane. If I just spoil I've never actually seen it. Before we wrap, I know that you are a man of many projects and talents. If people have listened to this and found you a fascinating character, how could they not? Holy shit. Where could people find you? Thanks. Well, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. I'm a stalwart clinger to the old format that it is. I'm at Danorama SF. Don't just do at Danorama, and that's all A's, like Bananarama. Because there's some poor photographer somewhere that is getting so much porn added at him. And uh, his, his menchies are, are dirtier than he ever imagined. So go to Danorama SF. And then I have a website called Creative BDSM, which is really my raison d'etre in terms of how I see kink and my application of it is it's 
an excuse to be creative. It's a creative outlet. And so you'll see a whole list of my workshops, including ones I'm teaching most recently. Check out my Fet Life, which is also just Danorama. And of course, visit Two Naughty Boys, T W O K N O T T Y B O Y S, and check out our Twitter as well and our Instagram, Two Naughty Boys. Everything we do is Two Naughty Boys. And you can see the things that JD and I do together because we're continuing to teach more workshops. So check us out. All sorts of opportunities to share everything from bondage to new sex skills. Creative BDSM. Have you and JD ever done a threesome? No, I have never seen his penis. Hmm, interesting, because yours is hard to avoid. It's it's all over the place. I was just yeah, I was just wondering if the two of, of you were, were close. Honestly, you know, we I I offered the here here's an inside scoop is that I we taught a threesome bondage workshop a little while ago and I said, you know, we could actually have a threesome and tie them up and do this. It's possible. And he he's much more private with his life, with his sex life with his amazing sex life than I am. I mean, I wish I were as creative and dominant and as awesome as this guy is in the bedroom. He's a, definitely a lifestyle expert, but I can fake it on camera. But to, to be able to blend what he takes as a very intimate act and put that in front of a, a live crowd, he's not as much of an exhibitionist as I am. Hmm. So that didn't work in terms of that. And we have never had a threesome, although I, that is, I imagine that is, I told him, you realize this is probably countless people's fantasy to imagine this. And JD and I, I know this won't make the final edit, but just between you and you and me and, and, and your sound guy, uh, and the cats, JD and I often lament over the fact that we were not born two hot female bisexual uh, riggers, Connor and Sultan, because we would mm. be, we mm. would be, we would have reality shows mm-hmm. on us and and mm-hmm. uh, action figures and 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 everything, uh, but because you know we were. Um, Hampered by the penis. Hamper, hampered by the penis. We are suffering from our, our our lack of privilege in this particular realm of being able to have fame over being. I mean, just imagine. Yeah, I, so I'm not. I'm not saying now everyone's going to go out there and steal the gig, but uh, but that could have been as popular as we are. Two hot bisexual chicks that fuck each other and teach rope classes. That's that's uh, that's pretty much. Uh, somebody's going to be a double millionaire with that one. So, but we missed the boat on that. Uh, thanks mom and dad. And, um, um, yeah, it's too, it's too late for me for, to be reassigned and, and do the same thing, but you know, I, maybe I know out there for somebody else, but I uh, know for a fact that there are multiple women in the Bay area that fantasize about being the meat in a naughty boy sandwich. I've heard them say as much to me. I am 100% game for it. I'm quite experienced at the double male threesome. I'm totally game. So we have yet to, <laughs> we've yet to make this fantasy happen. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see who knows what the future holds. Um, well, thank you very much, Rain. I'm very flattered and, and honored to have this invitation. And it was great to be here and share some some things that I'd never actually shared before. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Rain. Bye. Good night. That's about all we have for you about cats today. Meow. Yeah, meow, meow to you as well. 
Before we go, I know that you had some patrons from your Patreon that had asked you a couple questions that you were going to answer on the podcast. So what do you got for us? One of the benefits of being a Patreon supporter is that you are guaranteed to have your questions answered, either in an advice column or on a podcast. Today, I have two different questions. The first question I have is from Gerald, and he says, I have a question about old widowers and the probability or improbability of an old widower finding a new partner, especially after several years of celibacy and a near-poverty income level, because he has been living in New Jersey, a place nearly as expensive to live in as the Bay Area. I'm glad that you asked that. Let me break this down for you. Here's the thing. There are eight billion people on the planet. And it's not that I don't believe in the concept of a soulmate, because I do, but I believe that there are multiple soulmates. Finding a relationship with another human is tricky, no matter how you slice it. We spend most of our lives trying for relationships, trying to make them fit. Not just relationships, romantic relationships, work relationships, friendships. Any sort of relationship you have with another human being, there's probably going to be a little bit of an effort and struggle. We tend to focus a lot on romantic relationships, and it can become very easy to get discouraged. I have gone on a ton of first dates, and they have not worked out. I've gone on first dates where people have no interest in going on a second date with me. I have gone on dates where I could tell within 30 seconds that there was going to be no second date. As scary as it is to put yourself out there, and you're thinking, I'm a widower, I've been celibate for several years, I don't have a lot of money, therefore there couldn't possibly be a partner for me. If you have that mindset going in, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more that you are willing to put yourself out there, the higher your chances are of finding someone to interact with. The truth is that rejection is hard, and it's scary, and we want to avoid it, and so we limit our risks. You need to get infected with toxoplasmosis, and then you will not be so scared. Don't of encourage people to go and infect themselves with the disease so they'll find their soulmate. We've just made a love match, toxoplasmosis. <laughs> no. Okay. Basically, you have to realize that you have a lot more to give somebody than just on paper what mm -hmm. you feel are your deficiencies. Mm -hmm. That if you're just a good person, go out. Everybody's just looking for companionship and understanding and love. And if you are capable of bringing that to the table and you don't have a whole lot of baggage and it sounds like you're trying to carry around some baggage with you, so just drop that baggage at the door and go out and just be your true honest self. And I'm sure if you're a good person, there's going to be someone else out there that's going to recognize that and want to hang out with you, whether it be in a romantic way or a not romantic way, or it starts off in a non-romantic way and then moves towards that direction. There's got to be somebody out there, no matter what age you are. You just have to go out, find the things you're interested in, do those things. And odds are there's other people doing those things. And you'll find somebody that you have common interests with and just want to hang out with, maybe mm -hmm. as friends, maybe as more than friends. Mm -hmm. The advantage that you have is women live longer than men. And people are wanting to be in relationships their entire life. You are in a great market. You can describe yourself as an older widower. There are plenty of women that are looking for someone to date. Where where it becomes challenging is you have to actually leave the house. True love is not going to come knocking on your door with a bow on its forehead. Here I am, ta-da. There actually does have to be some effort. But when you go out, when you meet people, when you find common interests that you have, 
and you allow a friendship to flourish in a natural and organic way, it can often transform into a romantic relationship. So I am letting you know for a fact, there is someone out there, they don't care about your age, they don't care that you've been celibate for several years, they don't care that you're a widower, they don't care that you're not rich. There is someone out there whose puzzle pieces match with you. It's on you to leave the house and start trying puzzle pieces until you find someone that's a fit. I bet there are some older women out there that have been celibate for a long time that probably do not have a high net worth. I guarantee <laughs> that you will find someone like that. Fact. And whoever you find, they are probably worrying about their deficiencies as well. There you go. What else do you have for us? I have a double set of questions from Gabriel. Gabriel says, I would like some advice for the podcast. How does one keep the fires and flames of desire alive and burning in today's political climate with one's cis male partners as a femme? With so much discussion and more awareness around consent and negotiating boundaries, it is still very challenging to engage with my cis male boy sexually, especially when they voice specific desires and fantasies. This is a heavy question, and I am glad that you asked it. Here's the thing. I love the fact that we are having, having long-needed discussions about stuff that has been in the closet and hushed over, and the pendulum does swing. You can't oppress people forever. Oh, sure, you can succeed in doing it for thousands of years. You can do it for a millennia or longer. But eventually, you're not going to be able to keep the boot to the back of the neck. We are having valuable and important discussions. Some people, I can certainly understand, I, I've been hearing this a lot, this is killing my sexy. All of this consent stuff and this advocacy and, and this clear communication and what just happened to natural, raw, organic sexy time. Sexy time's not going to go away. Human beings love to fuck. What I suggest is after clear consent has been established, drop the political baggage at the door. Take some time to engage with the two of you. Turn off your brain. Don't be focusing on the TV. Just enjoy that other person in the room. If you can't get into sexy times because part of your brain is running on a track loop about consent and the political climate, I know I can't get turned on when I'm thinking about the political climate. That's a boner killer for sure. No, if you have any externality that's going on, I found that I have a hard time getting in the mood when I am hyper-focusing on anything. Sometimes I love to take a news break. I know mm -hmm. people like being woke and getting involved and getting politically active in the things that are going on. And that's great. But you also have to realize what you have control over in this world and what you don't have control over in this world. And if it's affecting you negatively, sometimes you need to step back because mm -hmm. if you're not healthy within yourself and within your own mind, you can't expect to go out and change the world and help other people. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'll take a news break because I get completely overwhelmed with what's happening there. But I don't go and watch silly sitcoms or anything like that. I usually listen to audiobooks. I'll listen to podcasts. I'll listen to something funny but educational because I want to invest back in myself. And you can educate yourself on different things. You can go take a class. You can do anything. You don't have to pay attention to what's happening in the world or any of this stuff because all media is going to focus on the negatives. There's money to be made in the negatives. Nobody's going to tune into the news because kittens. I would. I'm sure you would. But a lot meow, of people, meow. yeah, 
If it meows, it does not lead. <laughs> oh! Only if it bleeds. <laughs> True. And the other question that you had was, how does one go about approaching a sex worker provider for non-traditional sex worker services? This is so easy to answer. Sex workers are there to provide the service. That is literally what they do. You are not specifying what's non-traditional. I don't know if you mean cuddling or a massage or talking. As a sex worker who used to do pro-domination, a huge amount of what we do is actually talking. It's not nearly as much banging as you would think. There's a lot more cuddling and talking and holding space and hearing someone's problems because they don't know who else to talk to. It is the easiest thing in the world to approach a sex worker for a non-traditional service. Say, hey, this is what I'd like to do. Are you interested? This that clear and simple. And they yeah. either say yes or no when you go for I there. have a need. I have money. Will you fill this need for money? And that's basically all it is, is a business arrangement. Just mm -hmm. be clear and honest and upfront with them. And I guarantee that you can find a sex worker that will be happy to fulfill your needs. The core of all three of these questions, if I were to boil it down to three words, would be communication and honesty. Isn't that That's all the, the questions that you answer, basically? Communication and honesty. Mm. Booyah. Ta -da. That's it. And toxoplasmosis. <laughs> that wraps it up for this episode of Kitty Cuddle Time Meow Meow with Randy <laughs> Gray. Hope you join us next time for more Dirty Talk with Rain DeGray. If you have questions, you can join the Patreon and, like Rain said, guarantee to get your questions answered either in an advice column or on the podcast. Or if you don't want to become a Patreon, that's fine. You can give us a call. We're always taking questions. And the phone number is 614-733-4739, also known as... 614-R-DeGray. Exactly. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Basically, anywhere and everywhere you can think of to find a podcast. We'll be there. Yeah. Do us a favor. Rate us. Subscribe to us. Anything that you can do, help us get the word out. If you like this podcast, tell other people about it, and we would be super, super appreciative. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us. We will talk to you next time. Bye.